Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. It's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 20th, 2021. This is episode 2875 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Thursday, according to the calendar that controls you. Nah, we won't get into that today, but the calendar and the clock control you. Part of the control of society. Uh, also a necessary thing for organizational structure, so it's not one of those things that I really, really oppose, like many other means of control, some of which we'll talk about today. Anyway, topic roundtable discussion today is where I just have a variety of topics I want to talk about. Some of this comes from some feedback from the audience. Almost all of this, though, is kind of Jack created in Jack's mind today. Um, we're going to lead off today. I did a Miyagi Mornings video today that talked about FNORDs, which are pieces of disinformation, and how almost everything that comes out of mainstream media, the headlines alone, are FNORDs. Uh, we won't get into that today, but I, one of the techniques that you can use to be less controlled by headlines is immediate mental rewriting. So I have three current headlines, just for fun, and the rewrites that occur as soon as I read them in my mind. Like, I didn't say, like, let me go find three that I can do really clever rewrites for. I just went to Fox News, F-A-U-X is how I say it in my head, but I have to type in Fox, F-O-X, or it won't, it won't come up. Maybe, maybe somebody has to own FoxNews.com, F-A-U-X, N-E-W-S.com. If they didn't, I think I would spend the 10 bucks a year to buy it and actually redirect it to FoxNews.com. Just, just for fun. Anyway, I got three uh, headlines that I read uh, on on websites like Fox, and as soon as I saw them, I went Nord and rewrite instantly. Like, and then went, why don't I put that in the show today, just for fun? And then I'm going to tell you what the next argument you will start to hear, and I'm sure it's been heard somewhere. Somebody's going to tell me I've already heard this, but you're going to hear it rolled out in mass across all the media in the next two to three weeks. It will come as to why you absolutely must get the COVID vaccine. And it's not new. It's an argument that's been used for the flu vaccine in the past. I'm actually surprised it hasn't turned up yet. Natural immunity is getting so high, they are in danger of this thing pretty much just not being a thing anymore before they get the vaccination into as many people as possible so they can tell you once you've done it once, you'll probably need booster shots so they can make money forever off of you, you, where they used your money to develop the vaccine that you get for free that you continue to pay for. Ugh. So how are we going to do that? I'm going to give you the, 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 when all the other arguments fail, the argument always used for vaccines. And, and, and then in about two weeks to three weeks, when everybody starts saying, you'll be like, son of a bitch, how does Jack do this? I just pay attention, guys. Um, what should you do if you bought Bitcoin when it was $50,000 plus or $60,000 or whatever? It's crashing! Um, no, no, it's it's cycling like it always does. The answer is hold or hodl, H-O-D-L. Um, but I'll talk a little bit more about it when we get to that segment. I did get an email from somebody basically saying, Hey, have, have you ever heard of have you ever heard of Atlas Shrugged? No, I've never heard of Atlas Shrugged, right? In Iran, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I've heard of it. But they said it was... Um, All these people leaving these blue states, which are being stupid, and going to red states, which are being, I'm not going to call them smart, less stupid, is that like Galt's Gulch? 
Not really, but kind of, sort of. It'll make sense when we talk about it. But Galt's Gulch is one of the most misunderstood things in, in, in the world of literature. It really is. What people think Galt's Gulch was versus what it clearly is if you read about, read the book, you know, what Galt's Gulch is. Where is John Galt? Um, it, it, it's, it's really interesting that people don't see the divergence between what we call Galt's Gulch and what Galt's Gulch was in the storyline. Um, if you How about cryptocurrency, right? We've talked a lot about R, pirate chain. What if you wanted some free R? What if you could win some free R just by making memes? I'll tell you about that today if you haven't seen it already. We have a meme contest out there where you can make a meme and maybe win some free R. I think we have three prizes available. All of them are R. Just first prize is more than second, and second is more than third because we actually believe in you know meritocracy here at TSP. I want to talk a little bit today, too, about how I see the modern underground economy returning to what it once was and why it's a good thing. This was spurred on by my uh, uh, discussion in uh, intellectual uh, brilliance slash insanity with Brian Norton yesterday. That was fun. Um, I have a great video just to let you know about from the TSP Spring 21 workshop. Uh, a gentleman named Eric, who was here, filmed us installing the liner into the Big Square Pond which is easy but hard. And if you want to build a Miyagi-type pond, you want this video. You want this video? It's free. It's available on his Odyssey. I'm just going to ask you now, and I'll say it again when I tell you a little bit more about it. If you are on Odyssey and you have some LBC coin and you watch this video and you think this might help you, throw Eric a little LBC coin, you know? And then a great story of how life is a teacher, but some people are slow learners And it comes from my time in Florida while fishing on the beach. And I think you'll like this story. Um, it's a short one. It's funny. And it's also just a little bit sad. But it's, it's more funny than sad because it involves pain that didn't affect you or me. It affected somebody who's the slow learner from life as a teacher. And it wasn't a lot of pain. But I don't know if it was enough pain for the person to have learned. I'm really not sure. But I'll tell you about it. I think you'll get a kick out of it. I want to start out, though, with a quote today. This is by James Russell Lowell. He was a uh, poet in the 1800s. He pretty, I think he was born in, like, before 1820, died in 1890-something, something like that. So he was uh, almost throughout, lived throughout the, the whole 1800s. And he said one time, The foolish and the dead alone never change their opinions. Basically, he gave you one out toward not changing your opinion. You die, okay. You're probably going to, you know, I, I don't even know if that's true, because if we live after death, we might have a lot of opinion change in whatever that afterlife might be. But I get the point. The foolish, though, are those who never change their opinions. These are people that once they set their mind to something, without even really knowing why they believe what they believe, it cannot be altered. No level of fact, logic, or reason can change their opinions. They cease to grow, to, to no longer... Now, that doesn't mean you might not have something that you form an opinion on, and that opinion stays with you for your entire life, and you never change that opinion. You notice he did use an S in there, plural, opinions. But if you, let's say at the age of 40, had established your opinions on everything in life, and you lived to be 90, another 50 years, and never changed your opinions, that means through those 50 years you've learned absolutely nothing. 
Or you're inferring that by 40 you knew everything that there was to know. The foolish and the dead alone never change their opinions. Um, and this is something that has become more and more true in our world with people latching onto opinions due to perceived authority, and a lot of it comes out of misinformation in the news. And like I said, I did my Miyagi mornings today on FNORDs, which are you know, pieces of misinformation in plain sight, used to control and lead to masses. I, I, I learned that term in a book called Illuminatus Trilogy by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson, which I cannot recommend reading high enough. Uh, but I won't say any more on it because it is the Miyagi Mornings episode today, and you can either watch the video or you can wait till Monday when the recap comes out with all of the episodes of Miyagi Mornings from this week in audio format like you're listening to now on the podcast. So one strategy, and I'm not even sure how I developed this. I really don't think I did this consciously. I think this happened because I'm a sarcastic bastard. And my sarcastic bastardism goes way, way back. I'll tell you how far back it goes. I remember sitting in third grade Catholic school, before I got myself kicked out of Catholic school the first time of two times, and listening to the teacher, this is third grade, mind you, say, well, you're all grown up now. You're in third grade. We expect more of you. And thinking to myself, it's the same shit that lady said last year in second grade and the same shit she said in first. And I literally thought it that way in my head. Yes, I did. So I have this internal voice that it, it shocks me that some people say they don't have one. Like when they read, they read, but they don't hear the voice inside. I, I don't get that. They don't have an internal dialogue. My internal dialogue is a sarcastic bastard and has always been. I, I refer to it as Dark Jack. My, my best friend David says the thing about Dark Jack and regular Jack is they're the same person. You just don't hear what Dark Jack says. Only Jack hears what Dark Jack says. He's probably right. But because of that, for as long as I can remember, I have read or heard media headlines and immediately rewrote them into what they're actually saying or what you should actually hear so that you don't get emotionally triggered. So I, I got these three headlines, and I'm just going to tell you what my mind immediately went to, and we'll talk about it a little bit. So one of them was, Chicago mayor will only do interviews with non-white journalists. Oh, my God, she's a racist. Um, if you know Lori Lightfoot and you know anything about her, you know she's a racist. She is a racist. She's always been a racist. She's elected as a racist. I mean, I'm sorry, the woman is a racist. She's also a moron and an imbecile and one of the people that handed, handled COVID the worst of the worst of all people in authority across the country. So she's a moron. So when I hear Chicago mayor will only do interviews with non-white journalists, I immediately hear known racist politician says racist thing. Done. I, and I'm not triggered by that. Why wouldn't that happen, right? Uh, next up, this is a great one. Andrew Giuliani wants to save New York from Como. Now, see, I took Como immediately out of this because Como's irrelevant to this. Como's completely irrelevant to this. I, Como's a piece of shit, by the way, just in case you think I'm defending him. Just he's not relevant to this. What I immediately heard was son of politician seeks to win powerful office based on last name. That's the actual headline. That's the actual story. That's the entire story, by the way. Andrew Giuliani wants to save New York from coma. No, son of politician seeks to win powerful office based on last name. It works. Ask Jiz Cheney. Did I say it that way? Ooh, that was not, that was nasty of me, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's, that's just seriously. Like, getting elected on your last name when you are not qualified, Hillary Clinton, to do anything, Hillary Clinton, 
or what's her name uh, from Alaska? I can't even think of her name now. She's so irrelevant to me. Uh, Murkowski, right? Like the, the world is full of this. These people run for office. They have no qualifications, no knowledge, no nothing. But they get elected because of their last name. Son of politician, seeks powerful office based on last name. And then this one. I saw this on Fox News. Bush warns Biden troop withdrawal from Afghanistan threatens the nation's women. Yeah, because he gives a shit. Because he gives two shits about women in Afghanistan. Come on. Here, here's what it is. Former warmongering politician seeks to continue unnecessary wars in service to military industrial complex. I, I should say former billionaire warmongering politician, but whatever, you know, you get it. The Butches are one of the richest families in the world. They have their money chopped up in little boxes in places where they don't get labeled as that, but they are incredibly wealthy and have been all the way back to Prescott Bush. Prescott Bush, who's he? That would be George Bush Sr.'s dad, Jr.'s granddad. Prescott Bush. Prescott Bush sold a fuel additive through Standard Oil to Nazi Germany in defiance of the Trading with the Enemies Act, and got away with it, by the way, um, through a subsidiary known as IG Farben, and that additive was necessary for the Nazis to be able to get their planes off the ground, and this profiteering, warmongering son of a bitch did this while his son, to his credit, was serving as a combat pilot in the Pacific Theater in the same war with, against the Japanese, who was aligned with the Nazis that he was selling a chemical additive to with which the Nazis would have been able to get their jets off the, or their planes off the ground. Yeah. Come on, guys. Like, are you shocked? That a, a warmongering politician whose been, family has been profiting off the military-industrial complex for a hundred years, who are so cutthroat and bloodthirsty they will sell to an enemy while their own children are fighting in a war against the enemy? Are you shocked? They're like, well, we can't, we, we, we can't, we can't end this war. We can't end this war. I mean, guys, I, I, I challenge you to start doing this. How quickly can you rewrite a headline to its reality? And what you'll notice, and this is fun to me, and you know, like I said, I've been doing this forever, it's basically Babylon B. If you haven't heard of Babylon B, if you've been living under a rock, Babylon B is a satire website that basically does this, but then writes a story to go along with it. And like I said, My inner voice is a satirical bastard, right? It's a sarcastic bastard. And, and this is just, to me, this is probably the strongest coping mechanism you can get. Because what you'll realize is in these three stories, right? So first of all, the Chicago mayor, right, is, 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 is a racist doing racist things. Do you live in Chicago? No. Then it's not your problem. It's not your problem. It's the city of Chicago's problem. They're the ones that keep electing a racist. But it could go everywhere. It, it is everywhere. And, and this mental midget is not the real thing that you need to worry about, right? Andrew Giuliani wants to save New York from Como. Andrew Giuliani isn't going to save New York from anything. He may very well be the next governor of New York, but probably not. It'll probably be some other Democrat that eventually challenges Como. But unless you live in New York, it's not your problem. It's not your problem. Even if you live in New York, you know. Your life is not going to change very much if uh, Andrew Giuliani becomes the governor. 
who is qualified because his last name is Giuliani, I guess. I mean, and then Bush warning about troop withdrawal from Afghanistan is nothing but a symptom of the actual disease, which is there is no war that can end. We, we live in a, in a perpetual, endless war because the only way you can keep selling extremely expensive weapons to a government is for them to use the ones you already sold them. They, what they're trying to do is turn weapons into vitamins. The reason the vitamin business is a good business is if you can get somebody on your brand and they buy a month's worth of vitamins, what happens at the end of the month? They buy another bottle. It's a consumable. So weaponry in a nation, any nation, should be a defensive tool. You should stockpile your weaponry, have a great big stick, and then try to get along with everybody and say, if you mess with us, we're going to beat the shit out of you with this. We're going to make you bloody. Even if you can beat us in a war, we will make you bleed so hard, you should just go on about your way and leave us alone. Like a porcupine. You know? Interesting. Pork fest. Libertarians, porcupines. Yeah, right? That's that's what... But you can't make a, a, a fortune forever unless you pop them off once in a while and need to resupply. You can only upgrade people so often before they stop upgrading. So... None of this is new. None of this is new. And you can just keep going through the headlines and keep doing this, guys. Really. Anyway, let's move on to, like, talking about the media and headlines. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. But I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm looking at the trends in the COVID situation. And I'm watching the entire narrative begin to fall apart, even with the true believers, to where the only real mass tards left are people with a mental illness that have become attached to the mask like a security blanket. And the people that have so politicized it, like that David Hogue kid, the, the, the moron from South Florida, they says, you know, there I was in the middle of a shooting, wasn't nowhere near it, that guy. Like, I, 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 I'm still going to wear a mask. I don't want people to think I'm a conservative. Like, I mean, literally, that's the people that are still buying into this bullshit. The scared, the mentally deranged, and the otherwise mentally deranged. So this is all falling apart. We have states like Ohio saying if you get a vaccine, you'll be entered into a lottery to win a million dollars. You could go out and buy a lottery ticket. You're just as likely to win. Why would you? Like, they're giving away free donuts. They're giving away money. They're giving away beer. They're doing everything they can. And I'll tell you what's happened to the vaccine sites. They're ghost towns. Their ghost house. They put one in the parking lot at my local Lowe's hardware store. And the only thing I've think, seen people do is like when they're driving around it with a trailer, have to slow down a little bit. I've never seen a single person go in there. I don't even think anybody's inside there. I think it's just like they set it up, nobody came, and they're like, I don't know what to do with all this shit now, and they left it there. This whole thing, we've gotten to a point now where the vast majority of people who are going to get this vaccine with one sub-demographic excluded, we'll get to in a second, have done so. Despite what these idiots in government said, there's nobody who's like, I, I, I would get a vaccine, I just can't figure out how. Right? I mean, come on. I mean, I know the people that are lining up for this thing voluntarily are not the smartest people in the world, but they're smart enough to find a CVS or a Lowe's with one in a parking lot or whatever. So the only... 
groups left are the ones that up till now could not get a vaccine. So they started approving it for younger and younger kids. So all the bat sheep are taking the bat children to get the vaccine, even though children are the least affected by this and the least that need to be worried about it. So that's what all the recent vaccinations have been when I looked at the numbers, is kids that were recently approved, and now they're trying to approve them younger and younger and younger because they have a magic number in their head we need to get to, completely ignoring natural immunity. And there's so much, there's so much hinging on this. They need to be able to say, we reached our goal of X to, perp to, to perpetuate the need for these so-called booster shots. They need to sell you on the idea that without the vaccine, the, the disease would not have naturally burned itself out. When no variant of any coronavirus or any flu or anything like this ever has not naturally burned itself out over time. They need to sell you on the idea so that they can get the people that got the vaccine to keep getting the vaccine because this is one of the biggest cash cows for the pharmaceutical companies created in the history of the world infinity. It is, it is, there is, and it was the easiest money these people ever made. They paid nothing to develop it. All the money was given to them and they get to keep all the profit. And they don't want this to go away. So they got to reach that bogey. So what is the next guilt trip? Because they already told you you're going to kill grandma, right? They already told you you're going to kill the teachers. They already, like, they did this, sh this shit to you already. And now, like, well, what can we, what's left? Here it comes, guys. And I know when I say this, a lot of you that don't know what it is yet, as soon as you hear it, you're going to be, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. I'm surprised we haven't heard that yet. I think they're saving it. Here it is. Well, you need to get vaccinated. Because you can get vaccinated. And you need to understand there are at-risk people, like let's say advanced stage cancer patients, who can't get the vaccine. And you are a risk to them. As though you're having a canasta party with a bunch of cancer patients on a daily basis. That, and, and I'll tell you, like you may have heard it here or there. But you are going to hear it. It will be rolled out from the AP to all of the drones And all of the networks that you think are all independent, it'll just be like, don't worry, be happy. Do you ever see that? There's a video. I, who used to do it? Was it Jay Leno or one of the nighttime guys used to do this? Where he would make a compilation of all of the local independent media news stations all over the country, and they will all say the exact same thing. And he did with dozens of them, but one was, don't worry, be happy. And there's like, you know, so-and-so in, you know, Jabit, Florida, don't worry, be happy. So-and-so in L.A., don't worry, be happy. So-and-so in Texas, don't worry. Like, they're all programmed to do the same programming. And this is going to be the final push. You are going to kill someone who cannot take the vaccine because you're a selfish bastard. It doesn't matter if you already had COVID and you, you, you have natural immunity. You still need the vaccine. And then they're going to say the same thing about your so-called booster shots. I, I hope you understand by now. We destroyed the economy of the world over a really bad cold. That's what it is. It's a really bad cold. It came from a lab in Wuhan. It probably did. Fauci funded gain of function research. It, he probably, I'm pretty sure he did. Now, whether or not it still, like, did it escape the lab in Wuhan? 99%. Did Fauci 
approve funding to that lab for gain-of-function research. 100%. 100%. Irrelevant to the fact that this thing is not the boogeyman they made it out to be. I do hope you've understood that by now. And I always hear from somebody, but I know somebody who died from it. I know somebody who died from getting hit by a car. I know people who have died from cancer. I know people who died from the flu. We don't shut down society for it. And in the end, it's a really bad cold. And it triggers people, but people die from really bad colds. Like rhinoviruses. Some rhinoviruses, some kids get them, and it really, really hits them bad and hard. And most people, it doesn't do much. We don't shut down society for it. We don't alter everything in the world of freedom, in the world of commerce, which is a big part of freedom, because somebody might get sick somewhere. We let people be responsible for their own choices. But you're going to hear that argument next. Let's move on to something totally different. Um, what should you do if you bought Bitcoin when it was $50,000 plus or even $60,000 or whatever, right? I've gotten quite a few emails lately. One said something, you know, I bought it at $54,000. I thought it was a good deal, and now it's in the 30s, and I don't know what to do. Don't do anything. Don't do anything. Just, if anything, buy more. If it keeps going down, buy even more. Buy the dip and hold or hodl. Hodl is... Is a, was a misspelling that turned into a thing. It didn't start out to be what it was. Somebody went to write hold years ago and misspelled it, and then it became hold on for dear life or hodl. In other words, don't get scared out. Don't be pushed out with a weak hand. Bitcoin has proven itself time and time again, and I tried to say this during the run-up over and over so people would understand it. If you've been in this for a long time, like many of us have, when these things happen, you don't even blink. Unless you plan on spending the money next week, it's irrelevant to your life. It matters not. It doesn't matter at all. You don't care. You're not in it for Tuesday, and if you were, it shouldn't have went into Bitcoin. I... I just think of how many times we've seen pullbacks way, way more bloody than this one. And I don't think this is a, I don't think this is a long-term down cycle. I could be wrong. Part of me really hopes that I am. I have been kicking myself over the past year that I didn't go in harder when I could have. And if we get a massive, like, pull way back, I go in harder. I have no fear of this because I understand the underlying fundamentals and the value proposition of the Bitcoin network. And I, I see the media where it is, four to five years behind the cycle of even understanding what's going on. I listen to these morons. I heard one today. So here's a, an aside story. So I got a, uh, my, actually my caretaker did it for me while I was gone, uh, a metal, little metal fish trap. Just like a little one entry, like for catching like small sunfish and whatever. And what you do is you take, cause we use the, we use a soft sided one that I recommend, like a minnow trap. But what happened is some of the bigger snakes, I said snakes, yes, they, they thrash around it and destroyed like the last two that I did that with. So he, well, he was here and I told him that he ordered one from Amazon, a little metal one. And what you do is for your egg stealing snakes, you put the minnow trap in the chicken coop or the duck coop or whatever you have. You put an egg or two in there. And then the snake gets, just like a fish, goes right in there. 
And I have no doubt if you left them long enough, they'd figure it out. But they really have a hard time figuring out how a cone works in reverse. Right? So I, I go out and I check the trap and there's a big rat snake in the trap. Anyway, a, a lot of times with these snakes, if I get them in a trap or if I just see one and I catch it, I'll just, you know, walk it way out the back and, and toss it over the fence or whatever. But we're reaching that time of year where, where the activity gets so high and so warm and the snakes are so active that a lot of them will come back. They may not come directly back, but, you know, they got there in the first place, so they'll kind of move around. They'll get some sense of smell. And when they find something like a coop with all the bird and egg smell in it and then go under there and then have an unlimited diet, they're going to come back. So I, I whip this guy in the back of my wife's car, and I drive him down by the nature center. It's a couple miles away. He ain't coming back from there. And I throw him out in the woods and let him crawl away. But anyway, on the way there, I start flipping through talk radio, and I get on this talk radio show. And this, this mental midget of a DJ, and, and tell me how many times you hear this type of stupidity come from the media. He says, no matter how many, he's talking about Bitcoin, no matter how many times somebody tries to explain it to me, I'll never understand how it works. Then goes on to make definitive statements that are absolutely false about Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Such as, I confirmed with my friend who works here too, who's into it, that it's backed by absolutely nothing, that it's basically air. Now, if you know the first thing about how a blockchain works, about the energy requirements for proof of work, that the fact that Bitcoin is the most secure network on the planet, I mean, think about this. The network that runs the, uh, what is it, the Columbia Pipeline, the pipeline out in the eastern United States, was just hacked by Russian hackers. Okay? And then held for ransom to un, un, unhack it. Right? So this is a company that's probably put a lot of money into security. But nobody's ever hacked the Bitcoin network. So you have something that's worth over a trillion dollars. Nobody's ever hacked it. But it's backed by nothing. It uses a proof-of-work algorithm that ensures that commerce can take place in a trustless manner across the whole country, the whole world. And can never be counterfeited. But it's backed by nothing. No, it's back by, but the, the, the point here is not how wrong this moron is. This is, this is like some, and I'm going to talk about this in a future episode of Miyagi Mornings. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, I don't know yet. But there's what's known as unconscious incompetence. And there's conscious incompetence. And these are natural stages in learning. So when you're unconsciously incompetent, incompetent you don't know that you don't know. You don't know that you don't know. You just, you, you're just kind of fumbling through life. Either you are completely oblivious to a thing, or you think you know about a thing, but you don't. Right? The next stage in learning is competence, conscious incompetence. You realize that you don't know. And you come to a crossroads where you can say, hey, I need to learn about this thing, or I need to accept that I don't know about this thing, And let it be. And just let other people worry about it. There is a place, to me, that is it involves the mind-numbingly stupid, where they seem to become consciously incompetent, yet act as though they're competent. And that's what this moron and all the morons I'm seeing about cryptocurrency on TV right now doing. I've heard countless of these mental midgets, these people that have like 
an IQ relevant to blockchain and Bitcoin anyway, of about three, state, I don't understand it, I don't get it, and then make a definitive statement, which is also inaccurate. Here's the thing. Even if that definitive statement was accurate, why should you listen to them? Why should you listen to them? Here's conscious incompetence. I am consciously incompetent of working on electrical systems. There's a little bit of stuff that I'm okay doing. I'm okay like wiring an outlet or something like that, but I'm not okay putting the power actually down to the grid. I, 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 I could figure it out, but I know that I don't know enough to make sure that I'm safe. I know enough to know that it can kill me. I know I could probably learn it. I know people that know how to do it perfectly that are, that are probably not as smart as me, but I haven't chosen to educate myself on, you know, installing electrical systems. And I, I, I know it could hurt me or I could burn the house down. I'm consciously incompetent. So I've made a decision. I hire people to do that. There's two decisions to be made there. I can become competently, consciously incompetent and hire people to do it or I can cure my ignorance. The, the, the dumbest thing to do would be consciously incompetent and then yet fumble through it and either electrocute myself or even worse, be consciously incompetent, yell, tell somebody else how they should do it and get them hurt. And that's what these morons are doing. When the media gets to there with a thing, it's about to explode. It's about to blow up. It's about to become the most dominant force in the world and they have no idea. When the media is consciously incompetent, yet expressing definitive opinions about a thing, the thing is about to take over the world. And if you doubt me, go back and find the videos of the mental midgets doing the same thing with, dun-dun-dun, the Internet. Yeah, you can go back to the early 90s. You can find these montages people put together of these mental midgets. They sound exactly the same. I don't get it. I understand it. What's the WW for? What is Internet? Can you explain it? I don't get it. This isn't going anywhere. It's a fad, right? And it's not just like you think, well, that's the Internet, right? It's not just the, it's everything that's ever come out of technology. That's what these idiots do. I guarantee you, you can find me talking about this In early stages of TSP, we kind of now think of like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube as these kind of like omnipresent platforms in our life. That of, well, of course every major brand has a YouTube, a Twitter, and a Facebook. Of course they do. Why wouldn't you? 2008 wasn't that long ago, guys. 2010 wasn't that long ago. I remember being on the air talking about this same subject in relation to social media. These were, they, 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 like, they would be like, they were, they were like mocking young people, like per, girls with purple hair and a nose ring and their tweets. And I'm like, these platforms are going to be the most influential information platforms mankind has ever known, and they're mocking them, and they don't even understand that they're being supplanted by them. And they said the same thing. I just don't get it, but here's this definitive thing about the thing I just acknowledged my ignorance of. When the media starts to do that, not little bits here and there. There's been little bits of that the whole time. When they all start saying the same thing about a thing, that thing is about to explode. And I know people are like, but Jack, 
Cryptocurrency exploded a long time ago. You said it yourself. Bitcoin's a trillion-dollar asset. The crypto market as a whole is a two-trillion-dollar space. It ain't nothing yet, guys. What should you do if you bought Bitcoin at $50,000? Put yourself into a coma for five years and don't worry about it. That's my advice. And if you're in solid crypto projects, I don't think you can go that far, but I wouldn't worry too much either. Yeah, let's, let's roll on here. I got a lot of stuff I want to cover yet. So I got an email from a listener, like I said, asking me if I ever heard of uh, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, I'll, I'll admit, I've never actually read the book. I've been, it's interesting, I, I've been accused of, of like plagiarizing or quoting or being like a, a bot for Rand, right? Like, uh, and, and I, I've never actually read the book. I did watch the movies, which were, were pretty decent, but I, I got the gist of it. But I know enough about the concept of Galt's Gulch to tell you that this idea that people leaving, let's say, Massachusetts and going to Texas or leaving New York and going to Florida isn't really Galt's Gulch or in the spirit of what Galt's Gulch was. Maybe in a spirit is the right way to put it, but it's not direct. The concept in Atlas Shrugged of Galt's Gulch wasn't that all of the talented people, all the productive people, all of the, 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 the billionaires that were creators, not the parasites, but the ones that were the ones that made things. It wasn't they all went to a place and carried on with what they were doing. They just went away. They just went away. And I've actually, since I've understood that, which has been a couple decades now, I've always thought that maybe there's brilliance in that, but it's also not practical. Like, literally, you couldn't do a Galt's Gulch with people unless they were like millionaires, billionaires, etc. Because it requires them to become non-productive. It wasn't like, I think Galt was made steel, right? Or railroads or something like that. It wasn't like he went somewhere else and started making railroads. He just went away. And other people like that just went away. They just removed themselves from society and let society rot without their talent. So in that spirit, I guess it does make sense. You take your most productive people, because remember, I'm the one that created Walking to Freedom in the first place. You take your most productive people from states that, that do not appreciate their time and their talent, and you move them to states that do. That's, that's republicanism at its finest, honestly. The problem is, while it works, and while it's, it's better than the alternative of staying put, it's limited in its effect because we have trade across state borders and because the federal government has so leveled the playing field. And what you've seen in the past, and you're going to see, this is your next cycle, right? So we got all this shit trying to get everybody vaccinated right now. We got all this crap, this all, all this misdirection crap that they're going to stack the Supreme Court. They're not going to stack the Supreme Court. They're, let me say it one more time. They're not going to stack the Supreme Court. I don't care about it. I'm not going to cover it because it's not going to happen. They might try statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico. And one is enough to alter the balance of power almost in perpetuity. But I don't know that they'll get that done. I see this as a bunch of misdirection right now. And one of the things that's going to be in the real playbook to get things done is more 
of the federal government interfering so that there's less differential between the states. Because what's about to happen, remember Ross Perot with NAFTA about our jobs going to Mexico? It's a giant sucking sound, right? There's about to be a giant sucking series of sounds. These states like California, Oregon, Washington, Illinois, New York, New Jersey, etc., are about to go into deficit territory that you can't even get your head around. They will only be able to suck on the tit of the federal government for so long. And these major corporations that have made these moves, there's something like 50 corporations, big multi-million, multi-billion dollar corporations, 50 multi-billion dollar corporations, most of them in the Fortune 500, all of them in the Fortune 1000, that have moved their headquarters to Texas. That's just Texas. That's just Texas. Everybody talks about the well-known ones like, like Tesla. Because Elon, oh my God, Elon. What about Toyota? Did you know that? That's years ago. Before the shit even started, Toyota moved to Texas. When you have like 50 of the Fortune 1000, and it's, it's something like 35 of the Fortune 500, by the way, move to one state. They're not going back. You understand that? They're not, why would you go back? People think when this ship kind of writes itself, and we, we talked about how the patient's going to bleed out when we take the weight off them earlier this week, but eventually it will start to kind of equalize. Things will go back to fairly normal conditions. They won't be normal, but they'll seem normal to people that have been through this shit. There's this concept, and Fox News was out with a full court press yesterday. New York is back. New York City is back. It was it was bizarre, honestly. It was I, I said this yesterday when talking to Brian, but it was like uh, Baghdad Bob. During uh, the, the second Gulf War, I guess it was really, like the invasion of Iraq, where there were literally like M1 tanks, you know, and armored personnel carriers in the background blowing shit up. And this moron, look up Baghdad Bob if you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you younger people don't know who Baghdad Bob is. And this guy, he, he worked for Hussein. He's out in the streets while this is going on. There are no, there are no American tanks in Baghdad. We are winning. We are beating back them, right? Like, like it was almost, it was almost sad, in a way. That's what Fox News was doing yesterday. The crowds are returning to Times Square, and they're standing in Times Square, and there's less than fifty people in Times Square. In a morning during the week in New York, Times Square. When I used to handle New York City as part of my territory, you could barely walk through the place. You know, at eight or nine o'clock in the morning. There's, I'm being, when I say there were 50 people, I'm including the four morons that work for Fox News and their camera crew and the people in the background to get up to 50. And they kept saying the crowds, the crowds, the crowds. Now, I'm not saying New York City is going to look like that forever. It will, pick back up, it's not going to dry up and blow away. But the people that left, the businesses that left, they're not coming back. It's not coming back. Because why would you go back? Just think about it this way. What kept people there so long is that moving is a pain in the ass. Nobody looks forward to moving. You want to know who your friends are? Say I'm moving on Friday and see who shows up to help. 
That'll show you who your friends are. You know, you tell people you're having a party, everybody shows up. You tell people you need to move some furniture from the downstairs to the upstairs, and most people show up. You tell people I need to move a mile down the road, and only your true friends show up. Moving sucks. Moving's hard. It is, but it isn't. It's mentally hard to move. You don't want to disrupt the kid's life. You don't want to leave your friends behind, whatever. These people that moved, they didn't move. You know, move to Sheboyganville or whatever. Sit in their little house and not begin to integrate with their surrounding communities. A lot of these people, they moved before the real estate explosion. They bought really nice houses for the money. They're living better than they ever had before in their life. They went from an apartment to the size of my office to 2,200, 2,500-square-foot houses. They have a backyard and a dog now. Do you know, that was another thing I, I, I read about today. Vets are like beat. Not veterans, vets, like veterinarians. They're beat. There was some ridiculous number of people got pets during the pandemic. I don't remember what it was, but it's like it was something like there's never been this much growth in America's ownership of pets. And it was mostly cats and dogs, right? And it was mostly dogs, actually. It was cats were in there, but dogs were the number one thing that grew in popularity through the pandemic. And the reason is people were able to stay home. People were able to move in a place with a backyard. People were able to get more space. Now they have a dog. Most people aren't shitbags, so most people, once they have a dog, they use that dog in making decisions about where they're going to go next. If you move from an efficiency apartment in Manhattan, right, to, to the suburbs of some nice neighborhood in Florida, and you got a Labrador Retriever, you're not going back to New York City. Just the dog factor alone. See, this is why you tune into the show. I know it seems like a little thing, but that's something that no one else will connect those two dots together for you. But it's the truth. When You just think about the first time in your life, if you're an older person like me, you're in your 50s, when you grew up to a point where you put down enough roots, the heck with having kids, that's important too, but you bought a dog. Didn't that dominate your decisions, especially if it wasn't like a little Yorkie or something, like a little teacup dog? Because, like, yeah, you can move to an apartment with a teacup dog. It's a pain in the ass, but you can do it. But if you bought a, a lab or even like a beagle, Or like a full-size schnauzer or a poodle or a, uh, a pit mix or something. Like I got, you know? Or a husky. Like you're not moving back. Because that dog now depends on you. You made a choice. Now some people abandon their animals. It happens. We know that. But in general, people don't. That's just one factor in this. These cities are not coming back. They're not coming back. And it's going to lead to something that I think is really interesting. The, re the revival of the underground economy. The revival of the underground economy. It, The underground economy is not just like buying 3D printed guns or dope. Or even gray market stuff like, you know, we had a, a group on Facebook for a long time. I think it's kind of gone now, but it was called the underground meadery. And it was all people that made meads and wines and ciders either selling or trading with each other. If you look hard enough, there's something kind of like that on MeWe right now, but then you, yeah. maybe if you email me, maybe I'll tell you about it, maybe I want to. But like, meads, making meads not illegal, giving somebody meads not illegal, 
somebody giving you meat's not illegal. Maybe that was two separate things. Like that. That's a gray market. But there's also a lot of like, when I say underground economies, people just simply doing business directly with no middleman. And writing out not only the bank, but the biggest bankster of all, the government, the IRS. It's going to happen for a variety of reasons. One is this migration, this kind of new Galt's Gulch, I guess you could call it. In a way, like I said, I think it's it's not Galt's Gulch, but it's a practical version thereof. The average person cannot withdraw completely from society, right? That you, The average person can't just quit working. So that's what a real Galt's Gulch would be. A real Galt's Gulch, if taken to like the next, instead of just the rich creative geniuses, which is what it was in the book, from my understanding. Going down to the use and the means of the world would just be, there's no more, I'm not podcasting anymore. I'm not doing it. If I grow food, I'm growing my own food. That's it. I'm not, I'm growing, I'm not growing it for somebody else. I'm not selling eggs. I'm not doing nothing. I quit. We can't do it. But if you get this migration, what you're also going to get is a new confluence of people of like mind. Like I said before, this whole idea that well, like all the people that leave California and go to Texas are going to ruin Texas. Dallas is making plenty of liberals in the school system. Uh, Austin is making plenty of liberals in the school system. Honest to God, if you're worried about that balance, we need immigrants from other states, right, to, to counterbalance the, 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 the mass production of liberal morons in our own school system right here. That's actually, they, they did a study on this, and people that move to Texas from California vote more solidly red than native Texans. I, 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 didn't, I didn't claim that. That's like an actual study that was done. So you get this new confluence of like-minded people. At the same time, you have runaway inflation, And at the same time, you're going to have supply shortages. If you go back to like the Great Depression and like the like the depressions like of the late 1800s and early 1900s as well that no one talks about, no one teaches you about, right? Uh, kind of like we stopped talking about Tamerlane when Hitler came around. If you want to look that that name up, Tamerlane. Like the latest and greatest is always the, the default position and we forget about everything else because the real lesson of history is no one ever learned a lesson from history, right? So if you go back to that time period, that's where things like wooden nickels came out. And people are like, well, what's really a wooden nickel? Well, wooden nickel wasn't really like a piece of wood worth a nickel. Wooden nickels were more like, this is good for one free haircut at Joe's Haircuts, right? Joe's Barbershop. And so somehow I come in possession of this haircut, nickel, right? And my wife cuts my hair. I have no vanity for whatever reason. You know, I'm a coal miner's kid. I, I, I don't need a haircut from Joe's. But a Joe's haircut at the time is worth basically a nickel. All of a sudden people were willing to exchange those nickels with each other Because somebody would need the haircut eventually, and there was an intrinsic value to the fact on the other end of that token, Joe would give you a haircut. And the reason it didn't become rife with like uh, counterfeiting is it wasn't really worth it. It never got really big enough. It was just kind of this little undertow thing that went on. And these wooden nickels today are actually worth a lot more than a nickel as like uh, collectibles. Not many of them survived. 
But now let's add cryptocurrency to this. Now you've got something that can't be counterfeited, that is fungible, that can be converted into U.S. dollars, that can be traded anonymously or completely anonymously or pseudo-anonymously, depending on how. And you've got this entire shift in society going on. Now, I'm not even saying it'll become the dominant form of commerce, but if it takes over 5% to 10% of commerce in the country, it's huge. It's huge, and it's incredibly empowering, and I think we're going to see a lot more of it. And the biggest thing that it results in is strong community. I just want you to think about it this way. You're going to buy a thing. We'll just call it a whatchamacallit. Doesn't matter what it is, but clearly you value the whatchamacallit, or you wouldn't buy it. You go to Walmart, and they have a whatchamacallit shelf. You go over to the whatchamacallit shelf, you pull the whatchamacallit off, you go buy it from Betty, or Susie, or Tony, or Mark, or Gaston, or whoever, whatever the name tag is, and they go beep, and they take your money, and you go out the door. How long before you forget the name of the cashier? Probably about the time, even if you noticed it in the first place, that you're sitting the bag in the backseat of your car, getting your car. By the time you're leaving the parking lot, you have no vested attachment in Walmart or the individual there at all. Correct? Okay. You need to watch him call it. Your neighbor across your fence says, oh, you need to watch him call it. I make watch him call it. I have an extra watch him call it. How much are you willing to pay for a watch him call it? And you say, I'm willing to pay X dollars. And he says, okay. And goes against the watch him call it. You will remember every time you look at that thing that you got it from your neighbor or the guy down the road. When I go get feed from the local feed store, I care about the source. Yeah? When I buy, I don't really do this anymore, but when I used to buy black oil sunflower for my wife to feed the birds from Walmart, I don't really care about the source. I just care about the thing. The more you get people doing business with each other, the tight, more tight the bond becomes, the better they know each other, and the less likely they are to allow someone else to take away that person or their rights or their ability. You're going to see, because of this new underground economy, an underground level of basically, I would call it organic freedom cells. So, of course, John Bush has created freedomcells.org, and you go there and we make these consciously created groups of people. But I think what you're going to have is a mix of like the conscious groups but the unconscious groups. And I think in some ways the unconscious groups are more powerful. Because I don't sit here and go, well, have you, you know, fulfilled your obligation to the group. The person does whatever they're good at, and I do whatever I'm good at, and we trade. And that is that is the, the, the backbone of civilization. That is the backbone of tribalism. That is the backbone of community. That is the backbone of, in the original tribal societies, two tribes that kind of live next to each other being able to coexist was an understanding that you're better at this and we're better at that, and therefore, instead of fighting over resources, we can exchange them. And I think we have a whole new resurgence of that. On that note, the most private cryptocurrency you can get your hands on right now is Pirate Chain, ticker symbol A-R-R-R. How'd you like some free R? Can you do some basic graphics? Do you got a good sense of humor? Do you know what a meme is? You can become uh, a little bit wealthier. And I have even put up some of the money. 
And there's three prizes, first, second, and third. And all you do is you make your meme and submit your meme, and you try to get your friends and neighbors and family or whatever to vote for your meme. That's it. Whoever gets the most votes by the end of the contest, which is like the end of the week, next week, I'm not sure exactly when the dates are again now, um, wins. And it's like first, second, and third. And looking at it, okay, it's going to run from 517, and we're on 520 today, so it's been around three days, and it runs until 524, 2021. And you can find it, you guessed it, at piratememes.com. There's a lot of really uh, uh, great stuff already um, set up. Uh, Wavehead and uh, Tom, who's my tech guy, together came up with this with some other folks on our Discord. They put it together, and uh, it's just it's just fun. But you can actually win. It's a pretty significant amount of R. Um, first place wins 200 R. Second place wins 100R, and third place wins 50R. Uh, not only uh, did Wavehead and Tom help put this together, but Drath from Pirate Train, Captain Drath, who, who's like the, the head guy over at the R Project, put up some R as well to help fund this. So this is, uh, this is really cool. I really invite you to check it out. If you don't make memes, you know what? Go over there, check the memes out, and vote for your favorites. Like You can vote, and you have to register to vote. But I can tell you right now, you're not going to get bombarded with a bunch of spam or anything like that. It's just to make, like, so somebody can't just go to different IPs and just vote for themselves, is why we did that. So check it out again. It's piratememes.com. Next up, um, just want to let you know this. We have a really great video available. Eric, who's been to a lot of my workshops, really cool dude, even though he's a Marine that he's crayons, um, videoed a lot of the process of installing the pond liner in our new low Miyagi pond. And I think this is one of the coolest ways in the world to put a water feature in the backyard. And I'm probably going to do a show next week on lessons learned from like three years of water gardens. I think it would be a great standalone show, and I'll probably do that next week. And some things that I, I would do differently, you know, you, you, you do learn when you do stuff that no one else has ever done before. Uh, but the way you put a pond liner in, It's hard, but it's easy. Or is it easy, but it's hard? It's one or the other. And he did a really good job of documenting it, not only the installation itself, but some demonstration using, like, a small box and paper to understand how you do the corners. Because it seems like, well, you just throw it in there. No, 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 no. Now, you can do that. My 8x8 one, that's pretty much what I did. I sort of half-assed the right technique, and because of the way it's built, you can't really see it. But if you want it to look really good and you want it to be really, really done right, you need to learn this. It's called the shower fold. So if you put a shower in, a standing shower in a house, there's a liner underneath it, and it's basically the same material as a pond liner. Now, it's a little bit smaller of a area, so it's a little bit easier to do, but it's the same fold. And Hawkeye, Harry Hawkeye, um, I don't know where he learned to do this, but he's got it dead cold, And he walked several of the students through how to do it, and everybody got to look at it. And Eric did a great job of documenting it. I have a link in the show notes today where you can see that video. And if you want to build one of these for yourself, it'll do two things. One, it'll show you how to do it. And two, it'll tell you that you probably want to have a good number of hands on deck when it comes to installing the liner to prevent things like tears and rips and to get the job done right. And there's a bunch of little hacks, and it. it's just really cool. Again, it's in the show notes today. And then I want to give you just a little humor at the end, right? Hopefully I've made you laugh a few times today. Hopefully this one will make you laugh a little more. 
Uh, I have a new saying. I actually think it belongs on a T-shirt. Life is a teacher, but some people are slow learners. And it's always amazed me when I fish on the beach. And there's where I fish on the beach, where the hotel is that we're on in Sanibel. This is not an exaggeration. We're at a point where it's kind of like, uh, like two-thirds, one-third. If you were to go down the beach from where we are and walk until you got to the end of the island, it's about 14 miles. And if you were to walk up island from there, it's about seven. Right? There's a lot of beach. And especially this time, there wasn't really a huge crowd. Like May's just not as popular as June, July, August. So I set up my fishing gear and I have, you know, I, I buy the guys that set up the umbrellas and the chairs and all that. I buy them beer when I first get there. I buy them beer a couple times while I'm there. We're always really good to them. We tip them. And so they kind of like know, like, this is our spot. So they put us right up against this big sea grape bush, and that gives me this pretty big buffer before anybody's on, on my left side. And then they always put the first group of new people a little bit up from us. Of course, anybody can go anywhere, but when you have a, 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 a hotel set up of the two chairs and the umbrella, it kind of takes a space and people kind of fill in. And yet, you got a couple rods as straight out as you can with the current. There's tons of beach... And people want to wade and swim right in front of your rod. That didn't happen a lot this time, which was kind of cool. The other thing that happens, though, is, you know, some of my rods are really long, so they're eight, nine foot in the air. But if the, the line is angling down, people walk into the line. And I realized, like, I don't need to get upset about this. Like, let them walk into the line. It's not going to really hurt anything, and maybe they'll learn. Most people didn't walk into the line. Well, I had one of my bigger, like, shark rods out that's, you know, sitting in a rod holder with the rod tip. The rod tip is nine and a half foot in there. So you can be pretty far from that rod and not walk into the line. But then I had my really light action, like, for whiting and pompano and stuff like that rod sitting in another rod holder. Now, it's only about seven foot, so if you're really close to it, you can walk under the line. But if you're a little bit away from it, you can walk into the line. No big deal as well. Three young girls, I would say they were, like, mid-late teens, kind of that beanhead look to them, walking by with their phones and chatting and chammering and chippering like little chipmunks and selfieing and all that stuff, and they're walking right toward the rod. And I'm, I'm going to say something, and I'm like, you know, no, it's been working out pretty good. Let it be. Well, they get there, and one of the three is clearly not a beanhead because she points at the rod and says, I can't really hear because of the sound of the ocean and all, and I'm sitting, you know, 15 feet back from the shore in my chair under my umbrella drinking a beer. And she points at the rod and says something to her. And the bean-headed one looks at the other one and kind of waves her hand like, you don't tell me what, I, I'm fine, don't worry about this. And instead of walking around the backside of the rod or moving away from the rod a little bit, she walks like within six inches of the rod, which 99% of the time would have resulted in absolutely nothing happening. However, pretty nice whiting. About 13 inches. That's not huge, but for a whiting, that's a pretty good whiting. And if you've ever caught whiting, you know they fight heavier than their weight. They have a real surge in that first hit when they when they pick up a bait and take off with it. Well, as she walks past the rod, this fish grabs the shrimp that's on it, and it just hauls ass. And it doubles that rod over, and it smacked her in the face. It looked like somebody held up a rod and went like, whoops, like used like a whip. And it smacked her in the face. She jumps and looks at the rod with anger. 
Like the rod did it to her. Realizing, because the IQ is higher than probably 75, the rod is an inanimate object. The rod is not responsible for what happening happened to her. But not understanding fish swim in the ocean, and that's why the rod's there, she looks at me with disgust as though I've pushed some sort of a button and hit her in the face with the rod. And I just kind of do, you know, the kind of the hands up, I don't know, like, you know. And I didn't get the fish, because I guess when it hit her head, it kind of like pulled the, it didn't get enough surge to actually set the hook. Totally worth it. Totally worth not catching a whiting. <laughs> she got the crap smacked out of her by the rod. Okay. Life is a teacher. But that's not the whole phrase, is it? God, I wish I could tell you it happened again. It didn't. But if the stars and the fish gods had aligned, it would have. They went down the beach. They came back. The other two girls walked around the backside of the rod. Dummy walked right past it again, as though it wasn't even there. <laughs> God help me. I thought you, dark me, lives inside me. All I was thinking is, please do it, please do it, please do it. It didn't happen. But it amazes me that a person confronted with that same situation will behave exactly the same way when it didn't exactly work out the first time. Now, I want you to understand, it didn't hurt that much, but it did demonstrate the folly in the choice. And uh, it's I just wanted to tell you guys that, because it's one of the best things that ever happened to me while I'm fishing that did involve catching a fish. Anyway, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Um, and if you did, remember uh, people like that are in the story Uh, at the end of the show today, those people vote, and their vote is equal to yours, and that's one of my problems with the system that we call democracy, including the system that you guys, some of you tell me, we're not a democracy, we're a republic. We're a, uh, we're a constitutional republic in the form of a representative democracy, and that person votes, and the person you've seen on the Internet trying to pump the gas with the plastic bag over it that says it's it's out of order wearing a mask while alone outside, they do too. This is why you prepare, because largely those people have a huge influence over your lives if you don't. Anyway, with that, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Let's go ahead and wrap up reminding you that you can do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's where I recommend all the products that I personally own, etc. Um, today's product of the day is already sold out. Uh, it's a, made by a company called Global Electronics. It's a really cool LED work light that kind of stands on a tripod and it opens up a couple of feet and it puts 360 degrees of light out and it's only 45 watts and it was on sale so I put it up today as an item of the day and within an hour it sold out. I'm mystified by that. Um, I don't think I sold that many. I think somebody must have come in and bought all of them or something like that. So... Um, if it comes back in stock, I'll run it again. But until then, remember, no matter what you buy, you can start your shopping at tspaz.com and help us out. Um, the way I came across that product, though, just another kind of funny story. Buddy David brought it over here to a workshop and left them, and so I kept them. So I didn't buy them. They just showed up. But uh, he's never come and got them back. People have said to me, you know, why don't you return them? And I'm like, don't worry about David. If you want, it's still worth reading the write-up today to see kind of the fun shit that David and I do to each other, including him taking a whole bunch of my jerky and sausage to Alaska and taking pictures of him feeding it to his dog. 
yeah, so that's the kind of relationship there, so it's, it's okay. They're always here if he wants to come get them back. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and uh, remind you that uh, you can also help support the show by becoming a member. That's all I'll say about that today. But do consider becoming a member of the MSB or Member Support Brigade. Now let's talk about our song of the day today. It is Willie Nelson Week. And today we have a song by Willie that many of you will not have heard. It's called He Won't Ever Be Gone. And it is a tribute to Merle Haggard. And I guess if you want to know if you are an icon of country music, as long as he's still around after you're gone, if Willie Nelson writes a song about you, I think you qualify for, like, Country Music Hall of Fame times three. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Got the news this morning Knew it'd be a tough day Some are so much larger than life You can't believe they could pass away When it comes to country music, he's the world And it wouldn't be all it is without Merle That he won't ever be gone His songs live on Fugitive and a branded man Mama tried to understand Left us a lifetime song And he won't ever be gone We were friends right from the start And we shared some high times I would sing some songs he wrote He would sing a few of mine The music made us brothers till the end And not a day goes by that I don't miss him He won't ever be gone His songs live on Rattling fever and the way I am Blue collar blues for the working man We'll be singing him back home from now on And he won't ever be gone He won't ever be gone Songs live on A fugitive and a branded man Mama tried to understand Left us a lifetime of songs He won't ever be gone We'll be singing him back home from now on He won't ever be gone